those of you who don't know who I am, um, my name's Andrew. I moved um, to America five years ago, and I've managed to retain most of my accent, though some of my family would disagree. And um, I have the privilege of being on the eldership um, team. I'm elder in training with, uh, with some great guys, and that's a, a real privilege. Uh, if I say anything tonight and you don't understand what I'm saying, then just wave your hand and I'll try and um, check with my translator. And um, actually last night, my, oh this is my family by the way, my brother, my sister-in-law and my three, uh, two nephews and niece. <coughs> and so right now, you can see my niece is fast asleep and uh, let's see right now it is quarter to three in the morning her time. And um, so, if the two boys can stay awake, then so can you tonight. (laughs) Last night we were talking and Davina, my sister-in-law, said something in English. And I had no idea what she was, I had no idea what the word meant. So I knew it's been quite a while since I lived in England. Because I couldn't even understand it. Anyway, I am going to be sharing, this is my first time preaching, so pray for me. Uh, if you don't believe in the power of prayer, now's a good time to start. I'm going to be sharing this evening on your ability to dream. I heard someone say that the ability, our ability to dream is what makes us different from animals. Which is completely wrong. Because if you've listened to my dogs at night, they are howling and like kicking and all sorts of things. So I don't agree with that. But uh, it's, a, uh, it's an amazing thing. We have the ability to not only... Remember the past. Yeah, if you could take that Tyson offering whilst I preach, that would be great. We have the ability to not only remember the past, uh, which we call memory, but to dream about the future. You have to have a dream for your life. If you don't have a dream for your life, you're just drifting. And when you're, and when you're coasting, you have to be going downhill. Drifting by and letting life happen to you. You need a dream for your life. It's one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. The the gift of dreaming. We're most like our creator when we are creative. I don't know if any of you have seen uh, the movie Inside Out. The kids movie. I am promoting it. Unless there's any bad parts that I forgot, in which case I'm not promoting it. And <clears throat> it's a very interesting movie all about the goings on inside of our heads and dreaming and all of these different things. Anyway, it's well worth, well, worth, uh, well worth checking out that movie. It's a good one. What goes on around you is because of a dream. This building was dreamed up by architects. The clothes you're wearing were dreamed up by designers. The art in your home was created by, by artists. The business that you work for was dreamed up by a businessman. Has God given you a dream or a calling? I can answer that for you. Yes, he has. Perhaps it's clear to you what that is. Perhaps it's not clear to you what it is yet. But God has given you a dream. He's given you a calling. To go somewhere, to create something, to start something. Does anyone here want to shout out what their dream is, what their calling is? I will actually deliver candy to whoever asks Who has a dream? Who has a calling and God has revealed that to them? Shout out. Mother. Mother. Awesome. 
prevent funding the kingdom through business. Well, it's good to know that two of you have thought, yeah, come on, Lisa. Fantastic. That's awesome. Marriages and parenting. That's awesome. For every person... Oh, I'll give you candy. Here you go. Come on, Lisa. Here we go. Isaiah, because you and her son. All right. All right, you guys, chill out. All right. Oh, yeah, you did answer. Never mind. Here we go. Boom. All right. Throwing candy around. So for every person who figures out their dream, for every person that figures out their calling, how many actually embark on that dream? How many actually embark on that calling? How many stop and don't do anything about it? What causes us to be afraid of making the dream a reality is what we're going to call tonight dream busters. Or perhaps giants. I don't know, for those of you who have seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, there's the, the black... The warrior is dressed in all black, and he stands there, he says, You shall not pass. And he says it in a good English accent. And those are what stop us, what prevent us from reaching the dreams, reaching the calling that God has called us into. If you believe them, you get stuck in mediocrity. Those giants could be financial they could be emotional, they could be physical, they could be relational giants. could be any, any others. What do we do when we face these giants? Fortunately for us, the Bible has a rather good story about giants. Do any of the kids want to uh, suggest the name? Come on, Ezra. David and Goliath. Boom. Here you go. That will wake you up. A few weeks ago, I was, uh, I was sitting down, trying to be holy, and I was thinking, what am I going to preach on, on that Saturday night? God didn't say anything, so I picked up a book and started reading. And that book is uh, called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. And if you haven't read it, I strongly recommend picking it up and, and giving it a read. It's a fascinating book, not just about David and Goliath, but about so many things that we misinterpret in life. This story has much unexpected depth and complexity to it, far beyond what I had realized prior to reading Gladwell's book. The story begins with a duel 3,000 years ago in ancient Palestine. King Saul brings the Israelite armies to the northern ridge. This here is the northern ridge of the Valley of Elah, where where they figured out where the battle took place. King Saul brings the Israelite armies to this northern ridge. From where this picture is taken, it's halfway up on the southern ridge, where the Philistines and where Goliath were encamped. They stared at each other for weeks. Weeks. They literally stood there, wandering around, staring at each other. When we face fears, do we sometimes stare them down with the fear that any move in any direction will result in death 
result in failure. Perhaps in our marriages, we face problems in our marriages, and instead of taking that step down into the valley and saying, come on, let's deal with this. Financial problems, instead of taking that step down the ridge, we stay there, standing and staring at our problem in the face. Because coming down from that ridge, if you were to come down from that ridge, so that's the Israelite ridge, if they had come down, the Philistines could easily have attacked them. They would be an open valley, you can't see it because Kilimanjaro is in the way. But they would be they would be in you know open land and they'd have no chance of surviving. But eventually they sing Goliath. At that time, single combat warfare was popular. And the rules were, whoever wins, wins the battle. One-on-one, whoever wins, wins the battle. And takes control over the armies, takes control over everything in that area. Goliath would come down, he would scream his demands. And they would shake with fear. Nobody would take him on. Nobody except one little guy. We all know who he is. King Saul said, you're a kid, you can't do this, right? That's what the devil said to me when the eldership approached me about joining the team. You're a kid, you can't do that, you're too young, no, you've not experienced enough. I'm not a, I'm not a kid, David said, I'm a shepherd. I've killed a lion, I'm not... Pathetic. Saul had no other choice, no other options. He loaded up his armor onto David and sent him out. But David wouldn't go. David said, No, I cannot wear this. I cannot go out here with all this armor. Instead, we all know he picked up three stones and he went to face Goliath right there. And he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. He slings him. Who knows what happens next? Come on, kids. What happens next? Isaiah. Yeah. Boom. Knocked to the ground. Very good. Extra one for you. He's going to be awake all night, Kuma. And then what happens? Yeah. He lets it go. But what happens when Goliath hits the ground? He goes over and he cuts his head off. Nice. Have we fundamentally misinterpreted this story? The overwhelming favorite, which is, goes up against the one in a million who is, why do we call him a long shot? Because he's a kid versus a warrior? Because he's small versus big. Because he's under-equipped versus well-equipped. All David has is a sling. Stop right there. All David has is a sling. Now have a look at that. It might not be to scale. (laughs) But just have a look at it, right? Yeah, I would probably agree. All David has is a sling. Not good. It's not looking good for him. 
It's definitely not looking good. But who amongst you are sling nerds? Any sling nerds here? Sling nerds? There's actually a group of people called the sling nerds. And uh, I'm going to quote them now. So let's hope they are, they are accurate. They have, um, using the sling, that they, this is something similar to what you use. And they have calculated that the slings would rotate six to seven times a second. I was telling Kim this, and she thought I said 67 times a second. That would be impossible. Six to seven times a second. Which meant when it was released, it would travel. Anyone? Fast. Absolutely. Come on. Candy for you, Todd. It would travel fast. It would actually travel at 35 meters per second. That's about 35 yards in, in American. Roughly the same, we'll just go with that. <laughs> Which meant if they, they estimated the Goliath at the time was about 100 feet from Goliath. No idea how they know that, but that's what they estimate. Which means it would hit Goliath on the head in less than one second. Now, again, some other scientific people have gone down to the Valley of Elah and they found that the most common rock down there is called barium sulfate. Very common to the Valley of Elah. And if David had used barium sulfate, get this right, if David had used barium sulfate in his sling, it would have had the same stopping power on Goliath's head as a 45 caliber hanger. All David has is a sling though. All we have is a sling. We don't have anything good. This was no lesser weapon, no lesser shepherd weapon. Goliath said, come to me, come to me. He wanted hand-to-hand combat, but fortunately David wasn't an idiot. He had a sling, which he knew to be superior technology, and was filled with the Spirit of God. Now that's superior technology. How wasn't he the favourite? Why do we always think of David as the underdog? He basically walked into the middle of that valley, loaded, bam! He, he, he had no chance of losing. We hadn't just underestimate, underestimated David, we'd actually overestimated Goliath. Let's look at four things here. His shield bearer went before him. Okay, not too uncommon that the shield bearer would lead, you know, lead a warrior into battle. He moved slowly. He asked David, come to me. And he referred to David's staff as sticks. So why do you come to me? Do you think I'm a dog? Why do you come to me with sticks? Now, David didn't have any sticks. There's a plausible explanation here. Goliath is huge. Think of Pastor Eric. Think huger. (laughs) When we see people that tall, we think, that's strange. There must be a reason for you to be quite that tall. And what scientists have come up with as a possible explanation for this is a disease called acromegalia. Acromegalia is a tumour that develops in the pituitary gland that causes an overproduction of the human growth hormone. Now, Robert Wadlow, kids listen closely here, was 8 foot 11. 
You got that? He was 8 foot 11. He had acromegaly. Several of the tallest people in the world have this disease. And the side effect of it is that the tumour grows so large that it compresses the optic nerve and results in partial blindness. They think that Goliath was partially blind. Okay, so not only have we underestimated David, we've overestimated the ability of this giant. What the Israelites saw from up on this hilltop was a giant that appeared indefeatable. From a distance, whoa, there was no chance on earth of beating this guy. He was huge. He had all the weapons you could possibly need. What can we learn? Giants are not always what they seem. The obstacles we face are not. Look closely and see the elements of what we see as being the impossible things to defeat may be the very thing that is actually withdrawing their power. David's giganticism was actually what may have resulted in his death. It's unlikely that we'll ever have to face a physical giant like David did. But it is likely we'll have to face a wealth of other giants. And it's likely a lot of us are right in the middle of it right now. It's likely that a lot of us have already gone through some huge giants. I mentioned a few of them already. Financial, relational, marriage, work, health. They can all provide hurdles to us going after God's calling on our lives. David had to face four giants before he faced Goliath. Mental giants. Just as big, just as intimidating, if not more. Let's look at the first one here. The first one is delay. David was held back by his father, by those around him. 1 Samuel 17, 12, 15 says, we have a really cool screen, by the way, now at the back, so I don't need to turn around all the time. Now David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. His three older brothers enlisted in Saul's army. But David was held back to care for the sheep in Bethlehem. There will be people who hold you back from the dream God has given you. Maybe this strikes something for some of you. Held back because of your age? Held back because of your background? Because of your gender? Because you're not smart enough? You're not holy enough? God has a plan for your life. But sometimes, so does everyone else. Sometimes even those you love the most. Number two, discouragement. Everyone was afraid. Everyone was petrified. This guy screaming at them for 40 days. Nobody thinks you can do it. Nobody thinks you can take down this giant, David. Everybody was talking between themselves saying, it cannot be done. Day after day, Goliath taunted them, saying, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, everyone was deeply shaken and paralyzed with fear. Day after day, after day, after day, after day. How often do we face 
giants day after day after day and we stand there staring ever been in a work situation and the boss says can't make this work can't resolve this this project is going down the drain everyone's saying it can't be done but guess what conventional wisdom is often wrong everyone there was wrong everyone Goliath knew he was going to win Philistines knew he was going to win Israelites knew he was going to win his family knew Goliath was going to win Everyone but David. It says that Goliath challenged the ranks of Israel. Sometimes what it takes is a little kid from a little village saying, we can do this. Someone with a fresh set of eyes. Because day after day, they were hearing it. They were seeing this giant come down to the valley. Day after day. David walks in. There's 45 hanging. And he looks at him and he thinks, I don't know what you guys are worried about. Why were they all discouraged? They were listening to the wrong voice. 1 Samuel 17:16 says, Each morning and evening for 40 days, 40 days, Goliath took his stand and made his speech. I'm sure they came to just believe it. Who's putting down your dream? Who's putting down your calling? Who's saying you aren't the person to do that? That's a, that's great. Really good. But I don't know about you. If you listen to negative people enough, you will become... No, you'll become a talk show radio host. <laughs> You will become negative. Number three, disapproval. His brothers questioned his motives. We want everyone to like us, don't we? We want everyone to like us. We want approval from as many people as we possibly can. But, if you go after God's dream for your life, there will be attacks, there will be judging people, there will be naysayers. Eliab, his older brother, verse 28-29, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business? Tending that scrawny flock of sheep. I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. Uh, I think it's old King James. (laughs) Why aren't you minding your own business? What are you doing here? Sometimes the people closest to you can't always see what you can see. And they can't imagine what you're going to accomplish is even a possibility. My brother... I'll try doing this without crying. <clears throat> My brother here, Dan. He... Um, <laughs> it's a genetic disorder. Um... My brother Dan, he uh, was the CEO of a very large uh, corporation in, in England. And God said, and he was earning good bucks, driving nice fast cars, all of that. And God said, quit. Quit your job and start something that produces money for the kingdom. 
So I'll let you introduce yourself to him at the end of the service and ask more about it. But he is earning, um, well, he has a goal. What's your goal? One. A billion pounds donated to the kingdom within 30 years. And he's heading in that direction. Year one, lots of thousands of pounds were donated. Which is amazing. Yeah, you can clap that. So that to say, when I heard that vision from Dan, and he said, well, this is, this is the plan. Is that 90% of the profits will be invested into the kingdom. 10% will be reinvested into the business. I said, that's great. So what, like 50 pounds a year? You know, what are you going to be, what are you looking at? And I doubted. Okay, but year three, and they've been donating hundreds of thousands. Even Jesus had disapproval from his brothers and sisters. I mean, can you imagine being Jesus' siblings? Can you imagine that? Hey, mom! Jesus punched me! No, he didn't. Jesus lied to me! No, Jesus wouldn't lie. I mean, that would be one annoying situation. Imagine having a brother who was always right. My brother thought he was. But, um, even Jesus had to deal with sibling rivalry. Even Jesus had to believe in, with siblings, sorry, had to live with siblings who didn't believe in him. Your friends, your family might say, who do you think you are? What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business? You'll never succeed at that. The question though, is who do you think God is? Let the size of your God determine the size of your dreams. If you have a small God, aim for those small dreams. If you have a big God, aim for the big dreams. It might be so big, it's bound to fail. Unless God. You'll be misquoted. You'll be attacked. You'll be made fun of. But are you into other people's business? You're into God's business. Number four, doubt. The expert doubted his ability. Who's the expert? King Saul. King Saul had been in battle his entire life, right? It's a little bit hard to imagine. So let me give you a scenario, okay? Pete Carroll, what's his job? Coach of. Seahawks, a small team in the Northwest. Right, imagine me, and pretty much the only thing I know about American football, American football, it's not actual football, that's in England, but the, the, the only thing I know about American football is um, Russell Wilson is a quarterback, and there's this like ball thing. Imagine, it's not really a ball, it's more like an egg, but we'll give you that. Imagine. Imagine me going down to the line, or whatever you call it, right? And, like, going out to Pete Carroll. And say, hey, um, Pete, um, next play. Um, him, pass to here, kick it, run, some points. <laughs> right? That's what this situation was like. David, a shepherd boy, right? He didn't have much battle experience. Sure, he, be- he defeated the line. But he didn't have much battle experience. And he said... He came up to the big gun. He came up to the top dog. And he said, Hey, I've got a plan. 
and it's, uh, it's going to work. Right? P. Carroll would laugh at me, and I bet King Saul probably had a good chuckle when he heard about David wants to take on the giant who had paralyzed the nation. Verse 32-33. Saul answered David, You can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young. You're too inexperienced. He's been at this fighting business since before you were born. Confidence in God is often misinterpreted as cockiness. Cockiness is foolishly thinking you can do it on your own. Confidence knows that God is the only way it can happen. Putting your belief in God and not yourself will give you results. The experts are often wrong. How do you defeat the fears that are preventing you from being the man, woman, God is calling you to be? We've got these four. We've got delay, discouragement, disapproval, doubt. How do we defeat those? Let's have a look. Number one. Remember how God has helped me in the past. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. What did David do going into that battle, into that fight with life? He said, I've done the bear, I've done the lion, bring it on. This is a confidence builder. When we remember what God has done in the past, we'll remember it when, when it comes to the big moments. Now maybe we've had some big moments and God brought us through. Remember them. Remember when I thought I wouldn't make it. Remember when I thought I was all alone. Remember when I thought this marriage is done. But God. Remember when he's helped you in the past in little ways. You'll remember when you face the big things. Number two, use the tools God has given me now. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough connections, education. What has God given you right now? Don't wait for the ship to come in. Swim out to it. Some people will oppose your dreams. Some will say, go for it, but but do it my way. Someday I'll do it. Someday when this, someday if that. Sorry, I've got to do what God is telling me to do. David had a sling. That's what he had in his hand. That's what he knew how to do. Number three, ignore the dream busters. David didn't get any encouragement. His dad didn't encourage him. His mom didn't encourage him. His brothers didn't encourage him. The soldiers didn't encourage him. The king didn't encourage him. He had to encourage himself in the Lord. This isn't having a positive mental attitude. Though that's great. Have a positive mental attitude. It's better than a negative attitude. But it won't get you through the deepest, darkest, hardest times in life. David strengthened himself. uh, Chapter 30 verse 6. David strengthened himself with trust in his God. Sometimes no one around us will believe us. Sometimes nobody around us thinks we're going to make it through. Sometimes nobody thinks we're going to survive. But sometimes we just have to trust in God. 
Number four, expect God to help me for His glory. Not for my glory, though I often hope that's the case. We are meant to be for His glory. This is a faith factor. I love what David says when he runs onto the battle. You come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops. This battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. The Bible says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. How much will you choose to trust him? Alright, in closing, plus one right there for including that in a preach. (laughs) Don't just think about this in terms of your dreams. But think about it in terms of other people's dreams. So often we can get so focused on, yeah, well, uh, they didn't encourage me, and they doubted me, and that person, they didn't approve of what I was trying to say. But think about it in other people's lives. Are you living in unbelief for someone else? Are you delaying your kids from what God has called them to? Is discouragement preventing your children or siblings from going for that new job? Don't be Jesse. Is your disapproval stopping your wife from starting that project she's been dreaming about? Is your doubt leading your friends to question whether what God is calling them to do is just a silly idea? Think about it tonight before you head home. Think about it when you're home. Is there someone, perhaps it's your friend, perhaps it's someone sitting next to you, perhaps it's your spouse, perhaps it's your kids. Is there someone, is there something that you need to make right? Is there somebody you need to talk to and encourage? Let's stand and let's pray. Lot of things in, in our lives we don't have control over. We don't have control over the talent that we have. We don't have control over our gender, when we were born, where we were born. But you can choose how much you're going to trust God. And it's that faith that will overcome the delay, that faith that will overcome the discouragement, the disapproval, the doubt. If you say yes to God, He will take you on the adventure of your life. God, build me into a person who can overcome delay. Who can overcome discouragement, disapproval, doubt, and defeat giants. Give me grace, give me humility for the process. Show me where I have delayed other people. Show me where we have delayed other people, discouraged, disapproved, doubted wrongly. And show me how I can right those situations. Train me to be an activator. Train me to be an encourager, an approver, a believer. Jesus, we want more of you. We want to be more like you. We want to represent you to those around us. Jesus, help us with this. In Jesus' name. Amen.